Monday. It is. Monday. It is the next day. And hey, everyone, welcome to the Next Day Podcast. Uh, This is where we uh, talk about the sermons that we just heard on Sunday, and we wait till the next day and we dive a little bit deeper into it. Uh, Because one thing the pastors try to do is uh, they prepare for their sermons. They do a lot of research. Uh, They do a lot of reading and all this. But you know, Trying to fit all that into 20 minutes of a sermon, or in Chrissy's case, 30 <laughs> minutes, 40 minutes to an hour. I don't know. No, but uh, but there's a lot there, and sometimes we don't get to cover it all, and sometimes there's just more stuff just to explore as well. Yeah, so welcome to the next day on your discipleship journey. Uh, so, Chad, um, you had an icebreaker question for us because we like to just, you know, uh, joke around. Yeah, it's part of our. Uh, it's part of the the banter that you know that that the people love so much, right? And maybe it's uh, <laughs> it's icebreakers a warm up. It's just to get us going. Um, so yeah, so today I wanted us to talk about what is your biggest pet peeve? Your biggest pet? What annoys you the most? What bothers you the most? Uh, and try not to share any names. Uh, we'll oh. just uh, keep it anonymous. But yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually have two. And so I could start with one, and then if you want to come up with one. Okay. I think I'll... I've got one. But you, you do? Go, go okay. for it. All right, well, the first one is, and Chrissy just experienced this a couple of minutes ago. Um, I would say this is my number two pet peeve, so I'm going to start with it. Is uh, So I am what you call a multiple sneezer. I sneeze uh, easily six to eight times, and it's just a normal thing to me. I've done it my entire life. People think I'm having some sort of a reaction. I'm like, nope, that's just my daily sneeze. Uh, but the thing that bothers me the most is is when I'm out in public and I'm doing it, and then people just sit there and go, oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? I don't know who these strangers are. And I'm just trying to get over these sneezes as fast as I can. Um, but then other so that's strangers, but it's also bothering me whenever people who know me mm-hmm. and they have to make a big production about it and they go, Hey everyone, Chad's sneezing, look over here. And I'm just like, I'm just trying to get this over with everyone. Please just, I'm Listen, sorry. This was just the two of us and sitting in my office preparing to do this podcast and you sneezed like eight times and I've never seen you do this before, but I was, I was concerned for a moment. Um, so, you know, I'm, I get it though. I would I would feel the same way. I feel much better now. So, yeah. <laughs> um my my pet peeve is very specific to my household. I I just cannot go to bed without the dishes in the sink being put away in the dishwasher. Like I <laughs> I just can't stand dirty dishes in the sink. You're not a soaker. You're uh-huh. not a It's got to soak for, no. you know, at least a week. Yeah, no, 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 Justin, Justin will try to pull that sometimes. Like, oh, it just needs to soak. Sometimes it's legit, you know, like a crock pot thing that's been cooking for eight hours. Like, yeah, sometimes that that's got to soak for a little while. But like, I will scrub and use elbow grease like as much as possible to prevent a dirty dish from sitting in the sink overnight. I just there's something about it. I just Mm -hmm. can't stand it. 
I feel the same way, but I, I could probably be more lenient. I can go to bed with, <laughs> with this. I can, but I do prefer it to be clean. In fact, when I go to, if we're ever doing a trip somewhere, I feel so much better knowing that the dishes and all that are clean. So when I just come back, it's like, yeah. oh, everything's fine. I know. But for some reason, when I come back and there's like stuff in the dishwasher, I'm like, I don't know why it bothers me. Oh, I, I'm like, as long as my house is clean, if we went on a trip, I'm like, okay, clean the whole house. And then you come back and it's all nice and tidy. It's just such a good feeling. And then my other, my number one pet peeve is just loud cars. Oh, it, yeah. I, I mean, unnecessary loud cars. Like I, Someone tried to explain it, but they were car lovers. So they, they didn't really mean it because they had a bias in there. <laughs> but like, it, it's just when people make their cars just super loud and they floor it and they try to rev the engine as loud as they can. Just as far as I know, they're just trying to get attention as if everyone in the world's looking at them going, yeah, that person has their life together. Man, that's amazing. They're so cool. Yeah, I wish I had a loud car like that. And then what's know. even funnier, sometimes these cars are super loud. So you think, oh, they must be fast. And I'm in my dinky little car <laughs> and my I'm barely pressing the gas pedal. And it's like I'm going the exact same speed as they and and they're and it sounds like their engine's about to blow up. And I'm like, I don't know what you're Anyway, that's my number one pet peeve. You, I remember you said that once, and that your uh, superpower—if you could have a superpower—it would just be to, uh, you know, be able to break down a, an engine, someone's yeah. oh, engine, yeah. just to. to I, now I, just I say that everyone, them. people have told me this is a lame superpower, but basically, it, I would keep everyone safe. It's not like I'm making the car blow up. I just want to just be able to snap my finger, and go. I just want you. That, I just want that car to stop. And it'll just slowly go to a stop in a safe way. And then the person will be baffled on, why why did my car mess up? And maybe eventually they'll learn the lesson. It's, it's a very passive aggressive way of fixing the But, problem. you know, that's a good segue into uh, Micah. You know, social justice is a... <laughs> you, you know, you're right. Micah had to deal with this all the time. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, yeah. So... We're talking. We're in this. We're in our Lytton sermon series, and we're recovering the minor prophets. And uh, just share what do people need to know? Just remind everyone what is a minor prophet? What do we mean by that? Yeah, uh, as Chad shared last week, um, it's it's not about digging underground or being underage. Um, the minor prophets are considered minor because of really the length of um, size of the books that they. Um, the text that they represent, um, and then also like their uh, career as a prophet um, typically is just a little bit of a shorter um, time span, which wasn't necessarily um, the case that we see with Micah because he was kind of around for a while. Um, but the that's the difference between the, the minors and the majors in this case is just really the, uh, the length of content in the prophetic book. Which Micah, I would say, is just kind of borderline there because seven chapters mm-hmm. where other ones are just one chapter. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, if you try to turn that in to a publisher as a book, they'll just laugh at you and just like, oh, this is just a, a paragraph. What, right. This is a blog right, right. post. This isn't a book, but you know, things are different back then, but yeah. So Micah is one of the larger ones. Uh, so yeah, so let's get into it. Uh, uh, Christie's um, sermon is going to be available on our podcast platform, so you should be able to find it here today. Uh, if you haven't listened to it already, or you can go to our church's YouTube page and you can find the Element, uh, and you can also listen to Pastor Pat and Pastor Alex. Uh, they preached on Micah as well, so you can hear them. Uh, we'll have them on the show eventually uh, as well. We call it a show. 
Oh, a show. show. Oh, my gosh. All right. So, uh, so Christy, just give us a quick overview of what do people need to know about MICA? What is it? Uh, what are just some of the tidbits that help us get into the frame of mind uh, when we're talking about uh, some of the more specific uh, themes and all that? But what do we need to know about MICA? All right. Well, MICA um, is one of the, the minor prophets that was a contemporary of uh, Isaiah. Um, so he was around um, the same time as the prophet Isaiah. Um, do you think Isaiah bragged that he was a major prophet? I don't know. You know, do I you hope think, not. You do, know? do you think they had those terms then? Maybe. Okay. Well, you know, for sure, Isaiah was from like a more prominent uh, family, definitely like a wealthier um, and, and just more prominent uh, lineage. Uh, Micah, as I said in my sermon yesterday, he was kind of a country boy. Like he was, he was like 20 miles out of Jerusalem, um, you know, in uh, Morsheth, in, uh, which is it's just 20 miles out of he Jerusalem. He wore overalls. He always had that little piece of wheat in his mouth. Probably, and, yeah, yeah. Straw yeah. hat. Yeah. Um, basically, <laughs> the scarecrow from the Wizard <laughs> of Oz just showed up in Jerusalem and in Judah and started prophesying. Now, y'all listen up now. <laughs> Uh, God's angry at y'all. Basically, yeah. it, basically, that's the the beginning content of the book um, of his prophetic text. So Micah um, was prophesying a lot of the same content that Isaiah is prophesying as well, and they, there's a lot of like overlap. Um, Micah is in the book. Um, I talked about this yesterday that you can kind of break down the book into three kind of sections, and this is uh, most likely because the book was not written like you know, all at once. Like there, uh, he started in the, the late eighth, um, century BCE. Uh, and then it kind of stretched to like the, the early seventh century BC, which I always remind people when we're talking in the BC years, everything, the numbers get smaller. So early, uh, seventh century. Yeah, it's, like, is, it's like, do you think they were wondering what, what are we counting down to? What do, I don't know. What happens at zero? <laughs> do you think they were wondering there, that? Uh, probably. I would be very concerned. Wait, why, why are we doing this? Like, like oh, who? I'm born in the eight, eight hundreds. That's yeah. good. Okay. I can. I'm definitely not going to live to zero. Um, but no, uh, yeah, I think the answer to that is they weren't keeping they were track not. of that they is us not. later yeah. adding these years to kind of help organize. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, for sure. Um, so anyway, it can be broken up into three different sections. So chapters one through three, um, you get uh, much more harsh. Uh, it's very focused on um, judgment and justice. And um, so this is like the, the biggest part of the text that like you see this this call for social justice. Um, and what's going on in Micah, um, in Micah's time, is that the leaders in Judah and the kings in Judah are basically just upholding all of these uh, these laws um, are supposed to be hold, upholding all of these laws for uh, the community, which are meant to um, make the community like you know not not necessarily utopian, but kind of like leaning more that way, right? That we would care for all people. Um, you know, God cares for every single person and calls um, His people to be the type of people that are compassionate and care for the poor and the needy. Um, and what the community, what Judah is doing and the leaders are are living into is this lifestyle in which like they are filling their cup and their needs, um, you know, just overflowing. And then all of the poor and the needy people and people living on the margins of society are just kind of cast aside and um, they they are not being helped by the laws and the the way that the, the governing um uh, authorities and all of that 
are um, what they're doing. So they're very much just cast to the side. Um, In some cases, they're being taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, their money's being used and their resources being used to help the others get right. even more rich. Right. Help right. Them, you know. Yeah. And we see that a lot. Like that when you talk about like taxes and stuff like that, you know, which we can, um, you know, we can, we feel that a little bit today. Right. It doesn't um, happen today. No, no, of course not. <laughs> um, right. So like, th- this is like the, the big complaint um, that, that God has um, that he speaks through Micah. And so that's chapters one through three. You really see this like justice and this judgment and actually the end of, um, chapter three is when you see the very first time that we see a uh, a judgment um, and prophecy for the destruction of Jerusalem, um, which is just like a huge blow to these people because they really had been living in this covenant that God has with them of just like, you know, that you're, you're going to live and reign forever, right? Like this is, this is the covenant from second Samuel seven. I mentioned that on Sunday as well, um, <clears throat> that God gives to King David and the people have just been like living in, uh, in this state of believing that that is, that is who they are and that there's nothing they can do to, um, you know, to break that, that covenant. Um, and it's true. Like the covenant that God made is a really unbreakable covenant, but he's like, no, but you, we still have standards of like ways of living. Um, and so it doesn't mean that I won't exile you, you know, let these nations that are closing in on, uh, on Israel come and, and overtake you. Right. Um, so we see justice and judgment in chapters one through three, and then verse, uh, chapters four through five, um, is, a, is, is kind of shifts, right? And you see this, um, this movement towards this future hope of restoration. And this is where Micah and Isaiah are a lot alike um, in, their, in their prophecy, because this is where Micah begins to talk about this like future um, ruler, like, you know, how uh, this, this ruler is going to, to rise up out of Bethlehem. Um, and sounds familiar. Sounds familiar, right? Um, Big of a shepherd. I know they use that term, shepherd. Um, right, right. His flock, right? Yeah. It says he'll feed his flock. Um, right. So that you know that that kind of language is starting to um, be formulated about like this future hope, this future kingdom, this future king. Um, of course, all of that on this side of the story, we see that's alluding to Jesus and the birth of Jesus. Um, and so it's just all about this this future hope. But then you kind of come back um, to uh, chapter six and seven, and these kind of, they come back, they come out of the the future and back to present day. And it's like, okay, so in order for that future state to occur, like you have to repent. And so mm. six and seven is like all about repentance, um, which is a pretty common theme for all of the, um, I feel like all of the prophetic the prophets, texts, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's always a call to repentance. Your people always messing up and yeah. Right. Which in Micah, you know, the image I kind of get, uh, because yeah, like just like you had there, but it seems like, and maybe this is true for a lot of the prophets, it's like, like this roller coaster where it seems like, because I know you use in your sermon, doom and gloom, it seems mm-hmm. like it's just all bad. So you're going down and it's just like, oh, this is just all bad. Everything's going horribly right. wrong. But then there's these upticks of just like, you're going up and it's like, oh, but don't worry, there's going to be hope for you. Yeah. And it's like you reach that top of the roller coaster and you're able to see the bigger picture but dang it, they can't go down again. But then the prophets <laughs> right. are always there to remind you, no, 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 there's going to be better hope. And so, yeah. 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 
which is it's an interesting um it's interesting to use like that language of a roller coaster it's like it's almost more of like a hike or i'm trying to think of another like imagery because a roller coaster you don't have any control right like you're on the roller coaster it takes you where it wants you to go and you just have to sit on the ride and just bear with it but like the prophets are like no you need to take action like mm. this isn't just like an up and down and and you don't have any control over it like this is god is telling you to do something and to live differently do something different than what you're doing so you know it's not that that you're controlling you know the sovereignty of god but you're obeying God's commands, right? And so, yeah. you know, it's not it's not so much a I guess a roller coaster, it is just like a, a journey. It's, yeah, a journey. it's a journey. Yeah. <laughs> um, um yeah. But the and it's, you know, I talked about it on Sunday too. Um, just kind of coming back to that like really harsh and like intense uh, you know, um justice and judgment and stuff. And the way, kind of the de- imagery, the description that Micah uses of the way that the um, rulers, the kings, um, and leaders of of Judah at the time are um, are acting and living. Um, this was in the beginning of chapter three, and I, I said I was not going to talk about this right um, in the in church because oh, I was yeah. like, it's pretty, it's pretty graphic. Yeah. So this takes us to the part, like the question of like, so Christy, like in all your preparation and all that, like, what did you have to leave out? And I think this one you're about to bring up is it's pretty good to leave, leave out. Yeah. Out, <laughs> uh, just because yeah, it, it's in the Bible. We want everyone to read the Bible, even children, but there's some uh, kind of upsetting imagery with yeah, some of it. Right. So. so I try to be really um, thoughtful of that when I'm preparing, um, you know, I've got, two kids of my own, right? Seven and five. And so, um, you know, some of this imagery is just like, I, I, I can, I can try to explain it best, the best that I can, but I never want to put parents in a predicament where I've said something and then all of a sudden their children are asking them questions that they did not want to have to. Oh, <laughs> I've been at a church where there is a wonderful sermon too about Tamar and oh, Tamar, oh and, and so whenever the parents go home, and later the pastor who preached that, they they were saying the parents were upset. They had to explain oh, prostitution boy. and they had to explain other stuff to their kids. It's just like, okay, yeah, <laughs> I don't know rough. what else to tell you. But that's it was a beautiful rough. message. But yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's really wrong. all right. But so this, what is this? This is, is this? um, I mentioned cannibalism. Um, oh, okay. And this is, it's really, it's really graphic. So this is in, um, in chapter three, I'm just going to read the little segment here. It's chapter, uh, chapter three, verses one through three. Um, it says, and I said, listen, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil. And this is where it gets graphic. Who tear the skin off my people and eat the flesh of their bones, who eat the flesh of my people Lay their skin off them, break their bones in pieces, and chop them up like meat in a kettle, like flesh in a cauldron. It's almost like he's giving a recipe here. Like he's <laughs> he's experienced <laughs> this. Like no, he's he's being oddly specific it's here. It's <laughs> awful, right? It's just like it, it's so. It, it's just such a graphic and gory image. Um, but like that's the level of, of mm. social injustice that's going on. Like this is the way that he's describing like you are consuming everything for yourself at the expense of these people. Yeah. And it's like, you're hurting your own kind. Like, yeah. I, I mean, right. I know ultimately we're going to know like, Oh, people are people and God's loves for everyone. But you know, at this time, you know, the Israelites, they should be looking out for each other right? and at least building up each other as this nation. But yeah, but they're not, they're 
hurting each other right, and taking right. advantage of each other. No, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. Um, you know, and this is, you know, of course, like I, I mentioned that King Hezekiah, who's, um, one of the Kings, um, there were several Kings that, um, that he was prophesying to, uh, at this time. But, um, King Hezekiah is the one who kind of turned the ship around, um, per se. So, um, you know, it, it never, it, it never like led to the destruction, right? During Micah's time, he never saw his prophecy come to fruition. Um, <clears throat> thankfully, right? Like, I mean, the prophets, I think who were like prophesying this stuff, um, I, I don't think they, they want to see, it's not like they want to see God's people being destroyed, right? Like, or being led into exile. It's like, you know, you want, there's this line of like wanting justice, wanting to see justice happen, but then also like wanting blood, right? Like mm-hmm. this is, it, it's, and I think that's a word for us today too, right? And this is something we didn't really, um, we didn't go into on Sunday, but, uh, you know, this being a prophet and wanting to like, you know, he's advocating, right? Um, of course, like sent by God, but advocating for the marginalized and, you know, saying that justice, justice has to be served, but at the same time, like wanting to see repentance more than anything. And I think like, you know, this is where in scripture it says that, that mercy triumphs over judgment, you know? Um, and, you know, so this is, this is where I think like we, as a, a church community sometimes, and or just a community in general, right? Like we can oftentimes um, get really like this mob mentality of like, justice you know we want justice to be served and then we start to dehumanize the people who Mm. um have been doing the the wrong things right rather than like wanting to love them and uh you know see them as as human beings see them as people um and see them come to repentance right yeah and i know yeah it's one of those things you kind of make assumptions you think you know their story more than they do Whatever the situation is, that's why it's important to, yeah, just kind of slow down and listen, and yeah. you can understand it. And then, but yeah, how often are we like that, where we say we're all for it, but we aren't? Right, right. No, it's a, uh, it's definitely stories like this and um, the prophetic books like, uh, like Micah. You know, it you can look at it in so many different facets. And, you know, we looked at it on Sunday about, like, what can we do for for social justice? How can we go out and be, like, planting these seeds of goodness? But, you know, I would, you know, I would just say, like, I, you know, encourage anybody who, um, you know, feels God calling them into that to, like, remember that even the people who are in, you know, in need of, of experiencing that justice, like, it, it, you know, the people that are being judged, um, you know, are still are still people mm-hmm. um, that God wants to see come to him in repentance. Um, you know, so it's like, there's this fine line of like speaking truth, mm. you know, sometimes the hard truth, like Micah, you know, spoke some pretty like intense and harsh truth, um, but also love. And that's like kind of what we venture into as you like leave chapter three and you go into chapter four and then through chapter seven, right? Like you see this, um, this desire for the the future, for the hope that God has for these people. 
Um, but he even mentions like in, in chapter four, towards uh, the end of, of chapter four, um, it's verse verse 10. Um, he, he even prophesies, right, that they're going to go into Babylon, that they mm. are going to be exiled. So it's really interesting. He does like his prophecies, you know, like yeah. do come to fruition. It's just like 200 years later. Mm. Um, but, you know, that they're going to go into Babylon and it's from there that God is going to rescue them. So it's like still mm. this love story. It's still this like, you know, like, yes, you do have to face, you know, judgment and their needs, justice needs to be served, but God is not going to abandon you and forget about you and, you know, lock you up and throw away the key kind of a situation. That seems to be the thing. Like, yeah, because it's easy to read the first part of Micah, like you said, and it's very harsh, very judgment. But what we see is God's not giving up. Right. And we see that throughout scripture, that there are consequences, there are things that happen, and yet God's not giving up. Uh, I mean, I think the closest story we get of that was with the story of Noah and the flood and all, but then even then God was like, I'm not giving up. Like there's right. still hope for right. them. And so the same thing is here. People are messing up and that's why the prophets are there. And that's why we have uh, leadership in the church. And that's why we have other things that like, we're supposed to be keeping each other accountable right. living into this. Right. And I love that. Like um, I talked about on Sunday, right? The language of um, agriculture. And, um, you know, we didn't really get <clears throat> into all this like too much. Um, but some of this, like in, in chapters, uh, four and five, um, where it starts, it talks about that future hope of restoration and, and that, um, the language of agriculture that I talked about was in the beginning of chapter four and kind of at the end of chapter three is beginning to be introduced. Um, if you remember, uh, in, at the end of chapter three, that uh, he says, you know, therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, right? Um, and so you get this, uh, starting to get this, like, agricultural language. And then as you go into the beginning of chapter four, it's like, you know, talks about how um, these strong nations and, you know, all of all of these people that are at war with one another are going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And so you continue that agricultural kind of imagery, um, and eventually just get to this, like, peaceful, utopian kind of uh, visual of, you know, no one even learning about war anymore. Like, war is no longer um, part of the conversation. It's just that that we've all uh, been a part of um, producing a, a harvest, right? Like, working in working the land and producing this harvest that's going to be shared in a community um, that everyone would sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, right? It's just this beautiful uh, imagery. Um, but one thing we didn't really go into about this is that as this is being talked about in, um, in scholarship these days um, on this side of the story, right? Um, scholars will point, point to Micah 4 and 5 and not just see, oh, this was talking about Jesus, you know, Jesus coming and being born in Bethlehem. Like it does say that in chapter 5. Um, but it talks, it, it kind of speaks of this like future, future hope of, you know, like Christ coming again. And so like there's kind of this eschatological fancy word for like, you know, future and times, mm -hmm. right, of, um, you know. That's of, today's word, by the way. The today's word, right? Um, you know, God's God's timing of um, of when Christ returns. Um, that we have this this hope for that kind of peace, mm -hmm. right? Um, on earth, this peace that only um, 
Christ brings, but as the body of Christ that like we prepare the way for, like it very much, um, it's very Advent, uh, you know, in a sense uh, that we are living as a body of, a body of Christ, right? That prepares the way for Christ to come again um, and bring that kind of eternal peace to the world. So it's, um, it's really beautiful um, text. And I, I just love, I, I guess as a plant person myself, mm-hmm. like I, you know, I love um, gardening, your, your resident garden pastor. Um, you know, I, I love this language. I love this imagery so much. Um, I can dig it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> say puns. And then I don't get them right away. And then I'm like, Oh, that was a pun. Okay. There you go. There you go, everybody. All right, so we were able to learn a little bit more about Micah and hear about some of the stuff that was left out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, Christy, what is so now? Here's this question of now what? What now that we are familiar more with this text, and if someone were to read Micah uh, and they heard your sermon, uh, what are what is our hope? What what are we supposed to do with this in our lives today? Yeah, um, I think like Micah really sums it up really well. Um, you know, I mentioned the conversation that um, happens in chapter six between uh, God and Judah and Micah, um, which is like verses three through eight um, in chapter six, and uh, and it's a it's a really like relatable conversation, right? It's like God being like, "Look, I've given you all of this stuff. Like, I'm, I've I've done everything for you." Uh, and what do you, what is it that I've done to you to burden you so much? You know, why, why do you keep like, you know, just uh, pouring out all of these uh, things upon yourself and then leaving, you know, all of my laws and everything that I've, I've told you to uphold, just leaving them, you know, to the side and not caring, you know, to obey. Um, I'm sure it's a conversation every parent's had with their kids. <laughs> Absolutely. Why, why don't you just listen to me. I've given you everything. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For oh, sure. One of my favorite things I heard this before, I, I may have heard many times. I just remember this one instance where a kid was acting up and he ends up getting hurt. And the mom was just like, what did I tell you? <laughs> it was just like, well, I mean, I think she took care of him. It, right. wasn't just, it was just like, what did I tell you? I like, you're going to you. get hurt. And then they did it. Like, right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, I read a lot of like uh, scripture in a, with a parental lens um, for sure these days. Um, but, you know, so then you know, the, the people then of Judah, right, reply to, uh, to God in this hypothetical conversation, you know, and they're like, what are we supposed to do? You know, like, you, you want us to, like, worship you more, bigger, grander, like, sacrifice more stuff. And then they even, like, say, should we sacrifice our firstborn, you know, like, are you a human sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Um, which is just a really interesting uh, you know, thing that was thrown in there. It's obviously, it's very pagan. Like that was never required. Like God, you know, you know, you even see like, um, with Abraham and Isaac, right. That God's like, no, I don't want this. Like, don't, you Mm -hmm. know, don't do this. This is not what I require of you. Um, but you know, so it's like this, it becomes this almost like sarcastic. What do you want from us? Right. Um, but it is interesting though, because it's like, it is human life that God wants, but not in death, you know, it's in, it's in, living like God wants us to be living sacrifices for him and so that's what then Micah replies right to the people who are saying what are we supposed to do and Micah's like he's told you he's already told you this like if you if you would just remember you know if you would remember what God has called us to do it's to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God 
And it's so simple, right? And so that's what I think, like, that's the now what for us, right? Like, mm. is is to do that in our lives. Like, where is it that we can do more justice? I think, like, there's, you know, ways that we, uh, we don't necessarily fight against social injustice the ways that we could. Like, mm. you know, I think that there's... Um, a lot of ways that we just like live into our society, into our culture, um, less as a people set apart. Right. Um, and just, you know, think that, that this is just the way things are and, you know, just go with, go with the flow. I think like specifically for me, like Amazon is one of those things I've been, you know, just repeatedly like convicted over this where I'm just like, I'll just buy something on Amazon. Never think twice about where it's coming from. Who's making it. Is this an ethical purchase? Mm. Right. Um, you know, Amazon the, is a sponsor of this. Po- no, no, not really. <laughs> um, and there are a lot of like small businesses on Amazon, right? You know, right. like it's not all just like unethical, but like, you know, just taking that extra step to like, to be thoughtful in everything that we're doing rather than like be this, um, be the people that live into this society of like the instantaneous. Yeah. And that's so hard. Yeah. Like, people talk about sacrifices. People would really need to make sacrifice enough to get their two day shipping. For but sure. you know, but you could be helping out a smaller company that treats its employees more fairly and stuff like that. Right. Or it could be made for more sustainable resources. Right. And when I think of justice, uh, you know, it's a very Methodist thing. It's been in like kind of the history of Methodists, but I always think of during the industrial revolution, um, and even beyond like when child labor, like mm-hmm. was a very prominent thing in the Methodist were some of the biggest proponents of saying, we've got to protect these children right. who are in these factories in unsafe conditions. And it was the church. It was the Methodist church that really started pushing that. And eventually laws were made. And it was that fight for justice in that way where you see this injustice and you're not just going to be silent about it. Right. You actually take action and you do it because you want to protect people. You want to help people. Um, that, that, that always stands out to me is that yeah. example. Right. And I think too, like, um, you know, it's a little bit of a divisive, you know, thing, you know, we're in an election year, right? So like mm-hmm. that, that's just a natural division. Um, but you know, a lot of, a lot of my friends who, um, you know, are really thoughtful about like how they are fighting against social injustice. Um, voting is something that they're really passionate about. Um, you know, and that's something it's a, I think personal, uh, you know, kind of thing. And again, can be incredibly divisive, but, you know, I think resting upon like what reminding ourselves who we are called to be, you know, the kind of people that we are called to be to, you know, it's like not just doing justice, right. But it's also loving kindness, which is also translated in other ways as loving mercy. Um, you know, and so, uh, it's, it's this tension between, you know, like I said before about like, you know, requiring justice and there being judgment on people and action and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, seeing even those people as people to love and to um, walk with them, you know, towards repentance, um, that we're all on that journey together. So, um, yeah, I think that's the, that's the now what is, um, is just really simple, straight out of Micah, do justice, love, mercy, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Um, Amen. Lent is a good. Oh yeah. It's a good time for that. Yeah. All right. Well, this brings us uh, closer to the end uh, to our next day podcast. Uh, but we always want to do a ministry shout out, and uh, sometimes it's ministries within our church. Uh, 
uh, I don't know, it could be other churches if we hear of good things, but also just other organizations that are doing good stuff around. So today we want to highlight Clothed by Faith. Uh, they are located uh, in, they have different locations around the Houston area. I know they have a deer uh, park area, but there's, they're pretty much right next door to our church. And uh, they do a lot of great things, um, and especially helping clothe people. Uh, so they take donations. Uh, but one thing I love about them is that they really take into consideration the dignity of the people they give to. Uh, so whenever people donate, if, they, if people donate an old high school shirt from band trip on this location, they're not going to use that to give to somebody uh, because that person never was a part of that band. They, they treat them with dignity. Uh, same thing with any shirts that say lovable grandpa or something, world's best grandpa, but they don't know if the person they're giving that to is going to, you know, they take the quality of the, of the shirts and, and clothing. They make sure everything's good. And it goes out throughout the whole Houston area, a wide range of reasons. Uh, people um, uh, who financially can't uh, get the clothing. I know they do a lot for school uniforms for people. Um, and they also do stuff for people who are out of prison and they may not have a job and uh, they need help. And so, yeah, so there's a wide range. I know even like uh, refugees who have come in and are around the Houston area, they, they give clothes to them. So they do a lot of great stuff. Our church uh, helps support them financially and also volunteer and help sort clothes and help them with stuff all the time. Our students do it almost weekly. And so okay. it's just a great uh, thing. So Clothed by Faith, if you're ever looking for clean out your closets, uh, they're always in need of stuff. You can check out their website um, and uh, you can find out what they're in need of. Spring cleaning. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, Christy, uh, this is a great next day. And it was. Yeah. It's a great next day. It was. I learned a lot about Micah. So, all right. Well, we'll see you all next week. <laughs>